You're listening to Energy Insiders, a weekly update on clean energy and climate policy, with Renew Economies editor Giles Parkinson and leading energy analyst David Leach. Hello and thanks for joining our weekly podcast. My name is Giles Parkinson and here to discuss the energy news of the week again, once again is David Leach, ITK analyst. David, how are you this fine day? Very well, thanks Giles and good afternoon to you, to our special guest Simon McKenzie and to all of our listeners. Indeed, and um, our special guest, as David says, is Simon McKenzie, the uh, CEO of Vector Energy um, over in Auckland. Simon, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Giles, and uh, good to be with you. And also, uh, hi, David. Nice to nice to be on the on the call with you. Yes, look, we do, we're always wondering what a um, what a fine looking utility like yours was doing in a regulated market like this. And um, <laughs> I guess we'll I guess we'll try and find out later. And um, we're also particularly interested in the tender that you won um, in the past week, which was for five megawatts of battery storage in Alice Springs. And some yeah, of the sure. other things that you're getting up to. But look, first, what we're going to do is going to have a l- little bit of a look at the news of the week. And there's just a few things I really want to touch on. Now, the first one is about Nectar Farms in Victoria. This is an extraordinary story as far as I can see. It's a um, one of the biggest uh, vegetable producers in Australia. It was about to take, well, it wanted to build the, the biggest glass house in Australia. Um, it found that the gas prices were ridiculously high, the electricity prices were high, it was going to take it overseas until the Victorian government intervened and the local council and it's now decided to pair up with a wind farm and battery storage, go 100% renewable and the half billion dollar project will, will start construction in the next month or so. Now. This seems to me to be an extraordinary story. It seems to have everything, 1,300 jobs, a project saved, a half a billion dollar investment, but blow me, it didn't get a single mention in any bit of mainstream media anywhere, which I find quite extraordinary. Um, not too sure what, what it is you've got to do. Maybe they should have dug coal as well. David, what do you make of the project and what do you make, make about the lack of interest? Uh, Charles, about the project, I think it's the start of a new wave of projects and definitely shows the way forward. Well, when I say the start, we noticed that Arena actually has funded a project in South Australia which is using uh, solar in the uh, berry growing business. In the United States, we've got in the last year alone three gigawatts of uh, uh, um, company organised uh, energy. And I think we're going to see more and more cases of um, where, where wind farms and solar farms are situated on sites of existing companies which are close to transmission somehow or other. And those companies are going to be looking at the cost of the switching gear for taking some of that uh, wind or solar energy for their own purposes because uh, uh, this business, uh, Nectar, won't be taking all of the output of this new 169 megawatt wind farm. No, that's right. Yeah, what's really interesting about this project is it's actually going to change its whole processes. So before it used to get gas to sort of provide heat and CO2 for the plants. Now it's going to electrify the whole process and it's going to do it entirely through renewables. Um, Simon, um, it's kind of an interesting transition we're seeing here, isn't it? I mean, I guess the penny is dropping that wind and solar, as pointed out in the Finkel Review and look, any other number of studies, um, is cheaper than fossil fuels. Oh, look, absolutely. I think the the ones that are much more kind of sustainably aware are really making sure that they look at at this in a more holistic sense. So, you know, when you look at the the cost of fossil fuels and then you actually track that against the the latest technology, we see solar now in some markets being priced as low as 2.3 cents in the Middle East. And I think in in America, solar battery solution was 4.5 cents. 
So it absolutely makes sense, and I think this is just uh, the beginning of a of a massive transformation of the traditional energy markets. Indeed. Look, one of the interesting things there is storage. Um, they've got 20 megawatts and 34 megawatt hours of storage in this. Um, that allows the facility to go 100% renewable. Um, that's probably the biggest storage um, um, installation we're seeing in Australia. Um, that's a particular interest um, thing to you, and um, I guess we can come back to the other springs thing later as well. But um, were you surprised by that? Yeah, look, it's a, oh, it's obviously it's a, it's a very large storage um, facility. <clears throat> I probably, you know, how it's been sized to obviously manage the volatility and act probably more like a shock absorber. But I'd imagine also if the wind's not blowing, they can uh, also look hopefully at how they can store off peak and use it. Um, you know, when, when they're actually demand required, but that is a, certainly a large-scale battery farm. Um, but, you know, we're seeing battery installations of easily that size now, particularly up in the US and other markets. Yeah, absolutely. Simon, Simon, you've put a, uh, uh, I think, a one megawatt-hour battery, is it in um, one megawatt battery into one of your substations in your electricity network in New Zealand? Yep. Can you talk about the financial returns on that uh, from your perspective as compared to uh, expanding the substation? Yeah, look, I think two two sides. I mean, <clears throat> more more importantly than anything else, uh, that the flexibility the battery gives. It means that we can put it in. It means that we can actually um, watch what happens to the load growth in that area, rather than investing in re very expensive sub transmission traditional network. It's mobile. That's such that if we actually did need to upgrade the network with uh, sub transmission, that we can still move that. And and so I think the optionality is something people don't value into networks nowadays. Uh, certainly the battery is performing exceptionally well. It's it's taking about 15% off the peak. And, um, you know, the other side is being modular. We can add other uh, more, more capacity on if the load growth in that area actually takes off. So, you know, I think the value that's under or misunderstood is what the flip side is what, what risk are you avoiding? I think the risk you're avoiding is, is essentially not having... Um, invested in 40-year life assets that might become capacity uh, over, oversized and, and, and impaired in the future as well. And just one quick follow-up there. I mean, did you have to get approval from whatever the equivalent of the AER, the regulatory body, is to actually put that battery in? And, you know, in Australia, networks have been accused of gold plating, going for the, as much capex as possible. I don't think that's entirely fair. But, I mean, I guess, do you see more opportunities for these batteries and do you see the regulator being supportive? Yeah, absolutely. The regulator here is um, finished just at the latter part of last year. The Commerce Commission, uh, in its input methodologies decision, identified that we should be incentivised to put in new technology like this. Um, so, yeah, that we didn't have to go and get any specific approvals. It's within our um, allowable overall capital. And, uh, and I think going forward, uh, the, the challenge I'd put maybe to the Australian regulators is, are they actually... Um, freezing out smart technology solutions that will lower the overall costs and provide much more flexibility to the networks in Australia. Is that your reading of it then, um, Simon? Because um, you, you are involved in the Australian business. Um, we'll get on to Outer Springs quite soon, but presumably you're looking at opportunities in the um, sort of the main connected grid. Are you finding the same frustrations or observing the same frustrations and limitations? Uh, look, it's Obviously, the Alice, Alice Springs projects is obviously with ter territory generation, but I, I actually think um, <clears throat> we haven't had a huge amount. I mean, certainly of engagement, I should say, with a lot of the utilities. Certainly, there's interest down in South Australia, um, 
but we're probably finding more interest in the commercial market and also the kind of off-grid type of markets. But yeah, um, yeah well, sorry. Let's look at let's let's look at Alice Springs then. So what you're doing there, you're putting in a five megawatt battery. Yep into a very small grid with average load of about 25 megawatts, and it's got about 14 megawatts of solar, which makes it interesting to manage. Um, it's getting new gas, um, little gas units there. So this storage is coming in five megawatts with 40, me 40 minutes of storage. Um, my understanding is it's gonna allow a lot more solar. And in fact, there's a bit of a change of attitude from the uh, operator there who go back a year, they were complaining about too much solar and how it was impossible to manage, and battery storage was too expensive. And now they're saying they can get their money back from this investment in four years. Yeah, look, I mean, I, I haven't, we haven't gone into the, uh, I guess, the business case for territory generation. I mean, they've obviously put out an expressive of interest last year, and we uh, obviously engineered that solution for them and were successful in doing that. Uh, obviously, it's a five megawatt storage, 40 minutes capacity, but also um, seven, seven and a half megawatts for 60 seconds to absorb overloads. So I think um, you know what we're starting to see is more and more um, businesses and, and you know in the energy market looking at these as very viable solutions to not only manage you know capacity but also the volatility of of, of the system with regards to solar or wind or or other issues or other dynamics which cause problems. So I think the missing ingredient that we certainly have also invested in uh, that that's I think will be probably one of the other big game changes in the whole industry is control environments that actually start unifying, you know, traditional network SCADA control systems with renewable uh, installations, either on commercial or residential premises, and then actually giving you the visibility of what's going on, but then through artificial intelligence or rule-based decision-making, be able to automate that to, to avoid the, the instability problems that can arise. Uh, you mentioned the commercial market. You've been running a regulated electricity network business mainly. Uh, it's a big change to go into a market-facing business. And, uh, of course, you have done market-facing gas in New Zealand. I guess the simple question here is, how are you finding the opportunities in the commercial market over here? Yeah, look, I think, um, I think um, particularly our main focus is obviously commercial, industrial, and then utility or off-grid. Uh, residential we didn't really see as the market given the penetration over there and already a lot of people in that residential solar space but certainly uh, all I could say is is just uh, you know almost on a monthly basis an ever-increasing level of interest in in regards to these types of solution and, and the motivation behind those is not always just because of you know it's obviously cost and it's about flexibility but people also forget particularly with things like batteries that you know, the use cases for them aren't always confined to, oh, we need it to integrate with solar. It could be to provide, um, <clears throat> you know, uh, standby um, power UPS type solutions. It could be to replace existing lead acid batteries. So what we certainly see, there's a lot more use cases than just what people think about integrating with solar. Is that in Australia or in New Zealand where, the, where mainly your focus is? Uh, well, in both cases, actually. So, so we see that dynamic occurring in both markets. Which do you see as having the biggest opportunity going forward? Oh, from a scale perspective, obviously Australia. Um, but, you know, in, in New Zealand, we're also now starting to see a, a lot more, for want of a better word, with the growth of Auckland developers looking at how do we actually uh, integrate a much smarter kind of solution to customers. So solar batteries and then control environments, whether they're in-home or, or, or a wider one. 
uh, integrating in with the likes of electric vehicle charging infrastructure in those subdivisions. So, yeah, I, I think uh, that plus also some existing other infrastructure providers in uh, adjacent type of markets are also very interested in, you know, really displacing a lot of their lead asset type of uh, investments and the economics on those stack up really quickly. The point there is, is displacing a lead asset type of battery environment that may have been used for a standby power supply or something. All of a sudden, people are starting to explore, well, you know, maybe I can use the storage from lithium ion that has a much better life, much better operating conditions to, um, you know, manage their energy costs in a smarter way. You don't have to convince me about lithium batteries over lead asset. That's a no-brainer. But I just want to ask you quickly about the metering business. Your metering expansion is running out in New Zealand, as you've mentioned in your half-yearly report. At that time, you had 10,000 smart metres, that is, communicating metres in Australia. That's going to be hard to get scale here, I think, against the other companies. Any thoughts, for instance, on buying the AGL metering business, which has been rumoured as being for sale as as a way of getting bigger? And I understand the origin business is for sale as well. Yeah, look, I mean, obviously, we we uh, make no secret of the fact that we're happy to look at acquisitions, and um, that that's obviously a way to grow. We've done that in New Zealand here. Um, obviously, with the uh, power of choice coming into the market, that's going to require, you know, probably in the order of, I understand, about four to 500,000 metres a year. Um, that That is also going to need to be satisfied from the market. So our, our intentions still, still are to grow. We still think the retail kind of lead proposition rather than it being a regulated asset is is the right mix Um, and uh, you know we're still committed to Australia. So are you you looking at those businesses then? Well I mean I think you could take our responses highly likely. (laughs) (laughs) I've got a couple of quick questions. One have you entered the um, South Australia storage tender? Um, Well I think you know there was something like 90 people so we definitely participated in that. There you go. Well, actually, um, it may well be that that result of that tender is announced um, by the time that many people listen to this podcast, but um, an interesting development anyway. Look, another another quick thing I wanted to ask you, Simon. Um, I've noticed um, you, you, you were quite um, a fan of the Tesla products when they came out. Uh, in Alice Springs, you're using LG Cam. I think you're using CoCam elsewhere. Are you just sort of picking and choosing per different um, installation and what those individual requirements are? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, we still have a very good relationship with Tesla but um, our whole focus is is around customer and what's the right solution for the customer so obviously we want to engage and find the right technical solution Mm -hmm. and the right capability of whether it's battery or any other kind of um, solution for the customer so yeah we we will ensure that we offer a range of solutions to the customers which give them um, a, a good choice. Now we keep on talking about the customer and um, you know and, and we know that a lot of consumers a lot of businesses are going to look to solar and storage because that can reduce their costs. I guess the big question for everyone is can households and can businesses go solar go storage and then remain with the grid and still see a significant reduction in prices because now in Australia we're seeing prices going to ridiculously high levels but I guess you've almost got to change the revenue model, the business model, or even take write-downs or, or whatever it is that needs to happen for those bills to actually reflect the cost of those new, new technologies. So, Giles, I noticed that Vector is reporting that in Auckland, electricity consumption in households is down some 10 or 11% from 2005, which more or less mirrors the per capita decline in consumption that we've seen in Australia. 
And I do think this is going to be a big challenge for networks. So Simon, I don't, I don't know whether you have demand charges for your commercial business, but that seems to be an emerging area for batteries as well. But the problem is uh, anything that's good for those customers is going to cannibalise your existing business. So how do you manage that? Oh, look, I think, um, I don't think it's uh, just obviously, um, what would you call it? It's not just, just um, the domain of lines businesses that have the challenge. I think it's right across the energy sector. I mean, obviously, you know, remote generations, obviously uh, at, at risk. I mean, transmission, if we look overseas, there's massive impairments that occurred in Europe because of, um, you know, fossil fuels and, and the costs that occurred over there. So our whole focus is, yeah, we fully recognise that um, from a lines business perspective, our, our, that, 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 you know, with the reducing consumption, we, we take a view that, you know, you can't rely on regulation to protect you. So you have to actually manage that space in a smart way by investing in a, in a much smarter way. So we changed our whole asset management philosophy. It's, you know, there's it, it many ingredients to that. It's data analytics to understand how customers are behaving, what the different segments of the network behave. We changed the uh, asset management philosophy from, you know, years ago it used to be deterministic. Now it's what we call probabilistic incremental. It's all focused around how with technology can we actually deliver the service, but at least cost. And, you know, I, I don't think that anyone's got the right ingredient or the, or the, or, you know, there's, there's no magical recipe just because of the rate of new options coming out. But unless, you know, as an organisation we're wired that way to think about it, then, um, you know, the carrying on with the traditional uh, investment in, in the traditional paradigms will actually further increase the risk rather than um, potentially mitigate or, or lower it. And from a lines business perspective, we also look at some of these technologies as opening up revenue growth options for us that, you know, here being a, um, you know, a, well, about 55% of our business is, is uh, regulated. So being able to provide solar or battery solutions, not only within Auckland, but across New Zealand and in other markets actually also assist us to grow. Do, do, in New Zealand, do your um, staff have to sort of uh, get dressed in different clothes and uh, um, drive different cars to be able to do that business as they're required to do in Australia? No, no, not at all. I mean, <laughs> um, you know, I, I think some of them would like to, but uh, the reality is, is that you know, I, I think uh, that uh, you know, that that's all one. We obviously have to have um, strict. Um, I guess guidelines between what can go um, out of the regulated business and what comes in other areas. But you know, we've recently just bought two other businesses that are very much uh, in the consumer home space. So one of those is uh, Eco, and the other one's PowerSmart. So they're just other channels to market, which will put more more of the technology through. But um, I think the, the the big issue is really that if you look at this as an opportunity, it's amazing how you can find growth and and actually grow the business and, and at the same time mitigate a lot of the risk of what we call investing in dumb parts of the of the infrastructure. The other aspect, which probably is one of the biggest headaches, I think, in, in the industry is traditional equipment suppliers are not thinking about disruption. They're still pretty much building things like, you know, transformers that last 40 years or switch gear, and we'd rather have, you know, 10-year life assets because at the end of the day we want to marry that with the uh, advent of technology. So we, we've designed quite a lot of new elements for our network and redesigning those traditional assets. When I look at Australia, what I see is the tremendous uh, separation between the generation and networks and transmission and retailing. 
Uh, I see the states all having a say, and I see all these regulatory bodies, the AEMC, the AEMO, the COAG Energy Committee, and Finkel wants to have another body on top of all of that. It's very complicated and confusing. My understanding is it seems to be a lot simpler to get business done in New Zealand. Uh, you know, just like the rugby team, make it very simple. Do you think that it's sort of a problem or an opportunity for a business like yours in, in, in Australia, where the left hand doesn't really know what the right hand is doing and you can kind of slip in between the cracks? Oh, look, I think as a, an engine in the market without any kind of uh, existing, for one of a better word, um, you know, regulated assets or anything like that, I think it's an opportunity because it's it's um, people are precluded from, um, you know, putting those solutions into their assets or providing them to customers. So, so we see it very much as an opportunity. Um, I guess my wider perspective on how things are looking going into the future, I, I just... I, I would defy any regulatory regime that could ever keep up with the pace of change. I mean, you know, it'd be well known to most that by the time they come up with a new set of rules or, or an understanding about what the technology, I mean, we just see the rate of change with technology. We can barely keep up with, with what's coming out now globally with, you know, whether it's control environment, artificial intelligence, um, you know, um, just the improvements in things like batteries and solar and, and everything like that. So it's a, to me, it's, um, I think regulators, we've said before, need to step back and have a chief disruption officer in the regulator and say, how do we actually get out of the way and, and make sure that we can incentivise the uptake for customers on technology and what do, what do we really need to be doing as opposed to trying to control everything? Because I, I think it runs a huge risk of customers will just adopt in any case. Look, it's interesting, actually. Um, that's kind of like a bit of a prompt to go back to um, to some of the news of the week, which I wanted to cover, because um, you talked about the massive change. Yet in Australia, we've got the Conservative forces still insisting, let's build... A new coal-fired generator, as though they haven't understood anything about what's happening in the technology world and that baseload and coal generation are somehow compatible, somehow mean reliability, um, and it's just a step into the past. We're heading to a very important anniversary in Australian politics, and it's going to be interesting to see what happens after September 12th, because September 12th is the day that Turnbull has lasted a day longer than Tony Abbott, his predecessor. And we might actually see then a bit of a change in the policies or or, or, or a bit more enthusiastic. Um, Simon, we also saw today, um, the or this week, sorry, the um, the cancellation of the great big CCS project in, in America, this clean coal thing, 7.5 billion US, that's 10 billion Australian, and I don't know how many billions of um, New Zealand dollars spent on this project. Um, and they're basically going to write, write it off and turn it into a small gas-fired generator instead. Um, we see the energy industry around the world chasing down blind alleys, don't we? Yeah, I, I think um, that, that there is a lot. I think it's kind of obviously we can't ever get away from the energy sector being reasonably a political um, topic quite often with regards to, you know, coming around election cycles or, you know, consumer kind of issues. But I guess from my perspective, it's now being much more integrated with the, the climate change kind of initiatives globally and how those are getting progressed in different markets. And, and certainly one of the things that we certainly look at is through the you know, the United Nations Sustainability Goals, the 17 of them, I think that, you know, that's been really important for us to look through the lens of, um, you know, about seven or eight of those key goals to say, well, how do we have to think about our business differently? Mm. And, and you it's, know... 
As you as a, as, as a utility owner, I mean, how seriously do you take the two degree or even the 1.5 degree climate targets by Paris? And do you think that's possible in the business that you're in? Yeah, look, we do think it's, I mean, I think it's possible, but I think, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's as many people would talk about it, it's absolutely fundamentally necessary. I mean, we take it to the degree of, you know, why we're very much focused on these new solutions. We uh, do reviews on our network about, well, what would a two-degree change mean? How does it impact the ability to operate the assets? Uh, you know, what I think the other aspect is the volatility situation, and does that change some of the historic paradigms? I mean, a classic case in point here in mm. New Zealand would be, oh, but, you know, we've got X amount of hydro, 60-odd percent of hydro, and we've got some other, you know, renewable sources. But, you know, what happens, as we've seen in many markets now, we end up with climate volatility, not replenishing the lakes, and all of a sudden we're, we're in a really bad space. So I, I think, um, you know, it's really important. To have the politics there in New Zealand? On on climate, I think the, the well, I think the big challenge here is very much focus on transport. So the, the big topic that, you know, isn't really uh, as well de debated I think is around the impact of agriculture because agriculture from a climate you know impact perspective is probably the biggest thing in New Zealand I think energy is seen as you know in, in not too bad shape transport's clearly a big ticket item but you know from a greenhouse gas perspective then agriculture is seen as a, as a real big issue but it doesn't get the debate yeah hey look i'm going to wrap it up there guys look thank you very much for joining us simon i really appreciate your time um today and um Pleasure. good luck with your um battery storage project in alice springs and um any tenders that you may or may not be shortlisted for currently or in the future <laughs> thanks very much Giles. Yeah. nice to speak to you and thanks david nice to chat and so thanks to both David and thanks to Simon. Uh, we'll be back next week. We've got another very special guest as well to talk about the networks and the future. And I think there's going to be some interesting news over the next week. We should hear from South Australia about its battery storage. I think we're going to see some more rene big renewable projects being announced. And uh, no doubt the politics will move forwards or backwards as the case may be. So please join us next week and thanks for listening.